and welcome to Fantastic History. I'm Clay. I'm Sarah. We're a husband and wife duo who enjoy telling each other about amazing events, people, and mysteries throughout history. Apologies, uh, Sarah and I are both uh, (laughs) in a mix of being sick and getting over sickness. It's great. We're having a really good time. So if we uh, sound a little off or uh, like we have no energy, there's a good reason. (laughs) I mean, frankly, if you guys were with us um, through winter last year, this is pretty much that all over again. Like most of our winter episodes of 2023, um, I sound like this. You sound like this kind of off and on. Yeah. But uh, you guys are probably used to it. Yeah. So... Just apologies in advance. I'm not sorry. I did nothing wrong. Well, today, uh, I Sarah, I want to tell you about, I want to tell you the story of a man who saved the world. Oh, cool. Ignis Semmelweis is one of the reasons that you have a mother and why you are alive today. Me specifically? Well, the, the, the global you. Oh, okay. That's slightly less interesting, but go on. <laughs> yeah, this this guy did not like try to blow up your hospital or anything like that. <laughs> saved my mom specifically, which in turn saved the world. He discovered how to fight against a disease that would mercilessly strike down young mothers in the prime of their lives. Oh. And would kill newborns too. Oh man. And his reward for saving the world was mockery and madness leading to the destruction of his own mind and his tragically early death. Great. But in 1846, he was a young assistant just out of school with his doctorate and had started working at the first obstetrical clinic of Vienna General Hospital. Okay. His responsibilities were to supervise deliveries and teach students. Oh. And if you were a mother-to-be, hospitals seemed like a pretty good deal because not only were you surrounded by the most brilliant minds in science and medicine, but it was also completely free of charge. Oh, nice. The maternity ward was divided into two clinics. Clinic 1 was staffed by male doctors and students in training because Vienna General was also a teaching hospital Okay. Uh, where students would observe and participate in the process of childbirth as well as provide uh, postnatal care. Clinic 2, on the other hand, was staffed primarily by traditional midwives. Okay. Being admitted into Vienna General, one of the finest hospitals in Europe, should have been a godsend, but it wasn't. Uh Uh-oh. In fact, on certain days of the week, women would literally give birth on the street to avoid delivering their child in the hospital. Now, what the hell? Like, on specific days of the week? Yes, and that was because the first clinic had a consistently higher mortality rate (gasps) than the second clinic. Oh. And admission into the clinics was on an alternating day schedule. I see. So if you just happened to go into into labor on a day that the first clinic was admitting, there was a 10% chance you wouldn't leave the hospital alive. Yeah, okay, fair enough. Sure. And since this was a learning hospital, the deceased's autopsy was often observed by students and morgue attendants had a grim expression um, of the state of the clinic that it was a, it was a cycle of 
diagnose, operate, die, dissect. Ew. The mothers were all dying from epidemics of puerperal fever, also known as childbed fever. Huh. I, I found this this quote in one of the books I was reading. Um, Epidemic purple fever is to women what war is to men. Like war, it cuts down the healthiest, bravest, most essential part of the population. Like war, its victims are in the prime of their lives. Dang. Purple fever had been known about for hundreds of years. Even the ancient Greek physician um, Hippocrates mentioned it. But its cause was not fully understood. You have to remember that at this time, science, the scientific understanding of how disease and illness worked was wrong. Sure. Germ theory had not been theorized yet. So the prevailing theory was that disease was caused by a spread of miasma or mm, bad air. Right. It was also still thought that illness could be caused by an imbalance of the humors <laughs> in the body. Right as well as other theories that all fell under the umbrella term of atmospheric cosmic terrestrial influences, which covers literally every possibility, both real and divine. Great. Sort of a, a complicated m maze or, or web of possibilities that is who knows what could be the cause. So basically, shrug. Yeah, kind of. Okay. This is where our story catches up with Ignis Semmelweis. He was born in Buda, which would later become Budapest, in 1818. He started studying law at the University of Vienna, but then changed his studies to medicine. His specialization in obstetrics only came because he couldn't get a job in internal medicine, actually. Wow, great. So he kind of stumbled into this career. Yeah. Um, when he started working at Vienna General, he was immediately faced with death. Young women who had just given birth were falling ill with nausea, abdominal pains, and fever. Hmm. Within hours, their fevers would rise, pain would worsen, and they would become delirious. They would convulse. Red streaks would form across their bodies. Ew. And blue black spots would appear around their privates. Jiminy Jones. Simmelweis had soon become all too familiar with the signs and it broke his heart. He would tend to them, examine them, ensure the safe delivery of their babies only to see them die in his ward. And then the following morning, he would be performing their autopsy in hope of understanding what happened. That's horrific. An American obstetrician, Charles Meigs, poetically writes of purple fever. There is something so touching in the death of a woman who had just recently given birth to her child. Something so mournful in the disappointment of cherished hopes. Something so pitiful in the disordered condition of the newborn helpless creature, forever deprived of those tender cares and caresses it so necessarily needs. Mm. That the hardest heart is sensible to the catastrophe. So Silvice decided he was going to investigate and determine the cause of purple fever in his clinic. Easy enough. Uh, I I hope it's not that easy if we've been letting it go on this long. Right. So purple fever accounted for nearly 
half of all maternal deaths and was the second highest cause of death in Europe for women, only behind tuberculosis. Jiminy Jones. And this was not, and this was only in the early to mid 1800s. Mm-hmm. Before then, purple fever existed, but it wasn't really a major problem. Oh. But clearly something about these clinics was causing the disease to run rampant. So many doctors looked at the problem and simply determined it was beyond understanding. It was just a part of life. So this was only happening with the doctors, not the midwives? Like the midwives weren't seeing it to this extent? Well, I'll get to it, but it, but they were seeing it across many hospitals, not just Vienna General. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't like this was this one clinic was the only clinic it was happening in. Right. Well, I'm asking more because you were saying how like women would only go in on certain days because if you went to the midwife clinic, you weren't as likely to die. That is true. Okay. And I'll get into more of the details, like the numbers and everything. Um, well... Actually, I don't think I don't know if I mentioned the numbers and when I was writing everything down, but the numbers were significantly less in the midwives huh. than the doctors. Strange, which I'm sure made Simmelweis uh, a lot more irrit- irritable because it was his clinic, sure, causing the problem, and he really wanted to figure out why. So, so as I said, many doctors looked at the problem and determined it was beyond understanding, and it was just a part of life that they had to deal with. Mm. But Simmelweis was not like that. Consider the the difference between these two statements, okay? Mm -hmm. The first is from Semmelweis defending his life's work in a letter he wrote. My doctrine exists to rid maternity hospitals of their horror, to preserve the wife for her husband and the mother for her child. And compare that statement to one of Joseph uh, Deitel, right around the time of Vienna General's founding. Our ancestors laid much stress on the success of their treatment of the sick. We, however, on the result of our investigations. Our tendency is purely scientific. The physician should be judged by the extent of his knowledge, not by the number of his cures. That guy's a dickhead. Yeah. You're not a doctor. You're just a scientist. And that's fine to be a scientist, but don't be calling yourself a doctor. You just want to do experiments. Like, what the fuck are we talking about? Well, check it out. At this time in history, doctors were researchers. They were the same. Mm. Today, we, we consider these professions to be different. Like, you wouldn't expect our family physician to be doing um, experiments. I'd be very upset. But back then... That's exactly what they were doing mm. to better understand, you know, the body and, and diseases and stuff. And that's why Simmelweis was not only tending to mothers, but also teaching students and performing autopsies and such. I mean, it, it, it does seem crazy, but it was it was very common at the time. And it was the philosophy and that was the philosophy that Simmelweis was against. Because his main concern was not studying cadavers. <laughs> it was curing mothers. But his first step in figuring out this complicated mess was to throw out the atmospheric, cosmic, terrestrial theory. Good call. Because he knew if that theory were affecting the young women, the death rates in both clinics would be the same. Right. Clearly, the problem was necessarily with his clinic Mm -hmm. 
So he started from scratch, listing out every possible cause he could think of and investigating each one. First, overcrowding. Certainly a possibility the clinics got very crowded. Mm -hmm. Women were lined up on each wall of the room, not in their own private rooms. Oh, my. And with no curtains for privacy at this, you know, at, at this time. So they were so close that they could literally reach out and touch each other's hands. Oh, my. And puerperal fever epidemics tended to affect rows of women. Interesting. Not randomly bouncing around the clinic. But he crossed this off the list because, in fact, women knew the track record of the first clinic and tried everything they could to get into the second clinic. The second clinic was the overcrowded one, not the first. Interesting. And it had the lower mortality rate. Right. Another theory was that the fear of the first clinic somehow caused the women to become ill. Okay, great. You know? Mm-hmm. Semmelweis admits that when he knew women were assigned to the first clinic, many of them came to him begging on their hands and knees to go to the second clinic. But he dismissed this reason for two reasons. One, it didn't explain the origin of the epidemic. Right. What were they afraid of in the very beginning? And two, it was just really stupid. (laughs) At least he recognizes that. Next was... Oddly, that perhaps the priest was to blame. Oh, wow. He was on call at all hours to administer last rites. Mm. To reach the first clinic, he had to pass through five rooms. But to reach the second clinic, he didn't have to pass through any additional rooms. So Simmelweis asked the priest to go a roundabout way to enter the first clinic without passing through any other rooms. And to not ring the bell so that nobody would be aware of him being there except people in that ward. They thought maybe the fear of death was a contributing factor, or maybe the priest was picking something up that they didn't understand yet. So something in that those other rooms mm-hmm. that he wasn't going into for the second clinic. Maybe maybe maybe, some, maybe something like that was going on. So did that help at all? Well, no. let me just let me just tell you right now you amaze me that didn't change anything perhaps it was the first clinic's use of forceps Mm. the second clinic did not use them nearly as often but the trained doctors loved the damn things yes they do but this was ruled out too could mothers walking too soon after delivery be a cause no because both clinics did this yeah ventilation No. Linens? No. In the second clinic, mothers gave birth on their sides, and in the first, on their backs. Mm -hmm. In desperation, Semmelweis changed the clinic to side births, hoping that maybe that is a reason? And nothing. Yeah. Nothing changed. Yeah. Every theory failed. Meanwhile, his boss, Professor Klein, was hearing more and more about Semmelweis's work, and it made him furious. <sighs> Great. Klein considered Semmelweis's belief that the cause of puerperal fever uh, being caused by something 
that doctors were doing in the clinic and not cosmic forces beyond the control of mortal <laughs> men was a criticism upon his, you know, his, mm. uh, his um, administration and sure. his, his, his hospital and indignation on how he ran his hospital. Mm -hmm. So Klein demoted Semmelweis. <laughs> Very mature. Meanwhile, the news of the clinic's horrific mortality rate had reached the ears of the emperor's court. Uh-oh. And a commission was formed to get to the bottom of it. The commission did not include any experts in the field Great. or Semmelweis, who now knew more about purple fever than anyone in Vienna. Instead, it included hand-picked friends of Klein. Great. Frank Slaughter, one, one of the writers of um, one of the books I'm reading on this, writes, Steeped in di didacticism, hardly able to see beyond their academic and highly sensitive noses. The commission was a total failure. <laughs> the men snooped through the Lion Hospital for a few hours, listened to Klein in his hospital for an hour, and did not even hear the evidence of the one man who might have been able to help them. Great. How wonderful. In the end, the commission determined the cause of the epidemic was because the young doctors were being a little too rough during their examinations. Okay. Because they were men, and the female midwives of the second clinic were much gentler. But they determined that the people who are really being too rough weren't just the men, but those Foreign students. Wow. Great. Of course. Great. So all foreign students were removed from study. Wow. The number of examinations were reduced, and the men were told to be a little bit more careful. Austria, you say? Hmm. And this change did reduce the mortality rate for a bit. Oh. And then it came back just as bad as before. Interesting. And Simmelweis knew the commission was wrong. By March 1847, Simmelweis was in better spirits. He had enjoyed a much-needed vacation to Venice with his friends, and the man who had taken his position when Klein demoted him mm -hmm. had been offered a professorship elsewhere, and Simmelweis was in line to regain his old position. Interesting. Uh, things seemed pretty good, until he returned and learned that his good friend, uh, Jacob Kolechka, had unexpectedly died. Oh, my. He had been performing an autopsy and had been cut with a scalpel. His cause of death was pyema, blood poisoning. Simmelweis wrote of his good friend's fate. Professor Kolechka then became ill with lymphangitis and phlebitis in the same upper extremity that he was cut on okay, and died of a bilateral pleuritis, pericarditis, peritonitis, and meningitis. And some days before his death, a metastasis had formed in one eye. Jesus Christ. That is the most insane thing I've ever heard. You contracted 17 different diseases because you nicked your finger and now you are dead. Yes. Wow. But check this out. Semmelweis 
couldn't believe it. Not because it sounded so horrible. I mean, it did. Sure. Literally, hundreds of women had died the exact same way that Kolechka had in his clinic. Interesting. He had died of a knife contaminated with cadaveric material. So Semmelweis concluded these young mothers must have also come into contact with cadaveric particles. Disgusting. But where and how? Y'all ain't cleaning your nasty instruments, I bet. He knew the answer. Mm-hmm. From him. Uh-oh. And his students. Uh-oh. Oh! Every day, they were in contact with cadaveric material during autopsies. Oh, God. They washed their hands afterwards and thought it was enough. Mm. But Semmelweis knew they could still smell on their hands the putrid stench of, well, putrefaction. Bro. Or decomposition. The smell was so bad that doctors had to turn away when opening a body. So they thought that they could just wash their hands of it. <laughs> okay, great. But the stench would w- was so strong that the stench would not come off. I bet the midwives weren't doing, uh, you know, dissections and mm. stuff. Mm. Mm. But Semmelweis concluded the smell must mean that something was still remaining. and infecting his patients. He couldn't see what it was, right? Mm -hmm. Because their hands were clean. Sure. But he concluded if he could smell it, whatever's causing the infection has to still be there. Right. Invisible to the naked eye, which sounds crazy. Invisible things infecting women? Are we talking about cosmic atmospheric again? Mm. Sounds kind of crazy, right? But it explained everything. Why was the epidemic affecting women in rows? Because they were being examined in rows with the same infected hands. Oh, God. And why wasn't the second clinic affected? Because the midwives weren't doing dissections. Exactly. It also explained why low mortality rates uh, occurred after the commission's recommendations. Less examinations meant less opportunities to be infected. Oh. And the foreigner explanation also actually made sense, too. Mm. Simmelweis explained that the foreign students spent so much of their time if Uh, as efficiently and as profitably as they could, which meant they were participating in more autopsies and more examinations than uh, any other students. They were not being rougher. They were being more active. They were just more efficient. Well, they were being more active meant they were spreading more infection. Right. Unknowingly. Semmelweis determined that he was, if he was able to remove the smell from his hands the cadaveric material must also be gone. So he set about finding a concoction that would remove the smell. He settled on a chlorine solution with sand for scrubbing, and he placed it outside the entrance of his clinic for students and teachers to wash upon entering. And after each examination, they were instructed to wash their hands with soap and water. 
Mm-hmm. And this system of sanitation and disinfecting resulted in mortality rates dropping from 12.24% in May to 2.38 in June and 1.2 in July. That's insane. The results were conclusive. Yeah. The disinfectant worked. He had done it. And one would think his reward would be unparalleled appreciation, mm-hmm. congratulations, sure. uh, awards, perhaps even maybe a Nobel Prize. Yeah. Things of that sort. But mm. as I mentioned in the beginning, it is not that kind of story. Yeah. He would not receive the kind of appreciation that he deserved. But the rest of the story will have to wait for next time. Come on, man. Because we're out of time. <sighs> Fine. And there is still so much more to tell. <laughs> but we had to stop at some point. And I wanted to end on a positive note, not with death, but with success in life. Huzzah! So tune in next week or the following week, however things end up going, because we're sick. And <laughs> and um, and I'll conclude with what happened with uh, with with this uh, this brilliant tragic man. Yay! But for now, thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate and review us on whatever platform you're listening on us. You can reach us at fantastichistorypod at gmail.com. We are also on Instagram uh, at uh, fantastichpod. We're on TikTok at fantastichistorypod. Oh, sorry, Fantastic History Podcast. Mm-hmm. And on YouTube at Fantastic History Podcast as well. And uh, hey, we'll see you next time. Bye.